Welcome to the Empower to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I am your host. And today on the show, we're talking about today on the show, we are talking about taking plays seriously. And I will leave that in as an example of me not taking myself too seriously. Um, we uh, at ETC do believe very seriously in the power of play. Um, one thing that we have noticed um, and, and come to really rely on in our parenting tools over the years is the ability of play uh, to help bring regulation, to help divert um, erratic behaviors as they start, um, to be able to be used as a parenting tool in our tool belt to have it um, as a way for us to build connection and attachment with our kids. And so we're going to talk today about the seriousness and the the need to take place seriously um, in our parenting in the episode. It's very practical. It's also so helpful to know kind of the behind the scenes, so to speak, with our kids of of how play can actually be used um, as a helpful tool in parenting. And so uh, I hope today can be a helpful, helpful episode for you. Before we do get into the episode, though, I do want to remind you or just kind of really let you know for the first time formally, um, we've spent the last several years literally rewriting the ETC parenting course and updating it with the latest uh, research and just basically creating a um, more robust resource for you to be able to go through and uh, learn all about attachment-based, connection-based parenting. And so um, we are so excited to be able to offer Cultivate Connection as a parenting course coming up very soon. And so now one of the things we are doing is opening up Cultivate Connection facilitator training. If you are somebody that is already supporting parents, supporting families in your community, and you want to continue doing so, but be better equipped to do so, head to empoweredtoconnect.org where you can apply to become a, a Cultivate Connection Facilitator. You will find information on when our next training is. You will find information on what that training entails and information on how to apply, what the costs are, etc. I will say just from personal experience as somebody who went through this training several years ago for our last parenting course, it is invaluable. Um, I cannot uh, understate the importance of just the resource of this training as a parent in a community where there are other families who um, may be needing this support that you could offer. Um, so head to empoweredtoconnect.org today to become a Cultivate Connection facilitator. You can apply there um, and find out about all the next steps involved in becoming a, a facilitator for this training. Now, without any further ado, here are Jesse Ferris, Tana Ottinger, and myself talking about taking play seriously. Well, as we talked about in the opening today, we've got uh, Tana Ottinger and Jesse Ferris with us here. And so we're going to talk today about taking play seriously. It's one of our connecting practices. um, And we just we've got the two play experts, the two authoritative play experts in the entire world here today. Oh my gosh. Okay. Uh, As I bow off of this episode immediately, that's a lot of pressure. Uh, well, we, uh, we did bring uh, Jesse in today as, as someone who, um, like Tana, was also a part of working with and editing this, um, this great um, We wanted to have her perspective. Um, and so, Jesse, thanks for being here. And Tana, thanks for being here. And, um, you know, why don't, why don't we just start, uh, Jesse, if you don't mind just kind of giving us the overview of um, this connecting practice, and then we'll talk more practically about this. And, and obviously, this is one of our more practical uh, conversations that we'll have about connecting practices with this today. 
Sure. And I do want to set us all up by saying, I think JD is our play expert. So yeah, I was thinking that too. I'm like, if somebody's going to win that title for between the three of us, I think it might actually be JD. For sure. I think, None of my kids I think are maybe out of you would say, <laughs> right? Maybe you'd say Jesse and I have to work real hard at it, and then become a little more natural to you, Jade. Hannah anyway. and I always appreciate how fun JD is. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, well, here at ETC, we say that we like to take play seriously, which might sound like an oxymoron to you guys, but uh, we believe that play is a core element of a healthy, thriving adult-child relationship. And so taking play seriously for us means engaging in playful interactions with our children to build connection, to support growth, to redirect misbehavior, And then as we embrace play as a part of our rhythm and culture, we build that felt safety and disarm fear, foster joy, reap benefits for both um, the adults in our family and our children. So when we take it seriously, we're just being intentional about creating that culture of play. And, you know, I think when we say take play seriously, it, again, it can sound like an oxymoron. It can sound clickbaity. It can sound like it, like a, a a gimmicky kind of thing to say. It this is something that that was and they're joking about me being fun or whatever, but this is something that was that was real hard for me to learn, I think, as a parent, because I do love having fun. I do love playing and being silly and joking around all the time. And then when I want to just chill, I want to just chill. I do not want to play. So I would not uh, I think I would I would miss a bunch of moments because I wasn't thinking of play as a serious parent. Like if one of our kids came to me crying and sharing their heart in a moment, I'm engaged in the parent mode right away. I'm like, oh, this is a moment I've got to take seriously. I need to jump in with them. Doesn't matter if I'm tired. Doesn't matter if I'm whatever. If I'm, and you can hear sirens in the background, sorry. Um, if I'm in a moment where they're like, hey, will you come play Barbies with me? Or, hey, will you come jump on the trampoline with me? And I don't want to. Way easier for me to dismiss them and be like, no, y'all are good. Y'all go play by yourselves. Like, you're okay. And that is still a struggle that I, that I have because I don't, you know, I don't know at what age you stop enjoying jumping on the trampoline. Like, I, I got a good five minutes of me or so, and then I just, I'm just too old and start hurting. It just starts hurting the longer that you're on. But uh, as I've started to see it as a tool for connecting, I think it, it, almost feels like cheating then, right? Like it feels like you're getting away with something to get to go like build connection by, you know, make, you know, using funny voices and playing Barbies for, you know, an hour or two. Um, and so Ty, I know y'all have been through a lot of the same, same things. And, and I know that you and Mo both have like adapted a lot of your own, um, you know, habits and practices at home about this. Why don't you tell us about that? I mean, I think it's funny that you said you only have like five minutes of, you know, on the trampoline. And I'm like, I don't think I can get on it any longer. <laughs> so like, that also just kind of says something about the moment. Um, yeah, this, I tell you what, I, I think thinking about play as a connecting practice really is one of my favorite things. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of my favorite things because it was so unnatural for me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think the things that don't come naturally, when you have to like, work really hard to be super intentional. You see the value in them in a way that maybe you would take for granted something that's like more naturally who you are. So I would just say that this is a learned practice of, you know, 20 plus years of parenting and something I still have to remind myself to do. Like play is 
powerful. And it doesn't, and I want to just maybe say at the, at the top of this, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's silly. So when we started thinking about play for Mo and I, and then I know for you guys too, and a lot of, you know, the Empowered to Connect community, we've kind of followed this idea of Dr. Stuart Brown that talks about play personalities. And it's kind of like love languages, which might be more familiar to some of our listeners. Like we all have a certain kind of way that we give and receive love. Well, there's also different ways that we need to play in order to be like, thriving, well human beings. So like starting to think about that each one of our children play differently and that Mo and I play differently. And if we can start thinking about that, it like unlocked this whole way of like valuing and seeing our kids in a a new kind of way. And I don't, we won't necessarily go through all of the play personalities on this episode, you can go and Google play personalities by Stuart Brown. You can look on some of our um, uh, social media website. When this episode drops around that week, there'll be some stuff about the play personalities. So we posted some stuff about it, but I'll tell you kind of just, just a practical example. So one of the play personalities is the director. And that was my big epiphany of like, that is at the core who I am. I love to like create experiences and like help people navigate through them. So, you know, imagine a week or two before Christmas at the Ottinger house and it's time to do one of our holiday traditions, which is always to make um, gingerbread houses. I can promise you preparing them, buying them, setting it up, you know, displaying this beautiful table, getting one for everybody, getting it all set up, and then standing around and walking and helping the children do that met like such a deep core need for me. Um, But getting down and making one with the children wasn't necessarily what made me happy. (laughs) So even understanding, like I didn't have to feel bad that that didn't bring me joy, but I was facilitating an opportunity for them to play. So knowing my own play personality and how to meet that need has been a game changer for the for the family. And what if my pers- my play personality like contradicts one of my kids or causes there to be some tension yeah. because I'm approaching them through the way I want to connect and play and yeah. it might be like the exact opposite of what they need. So thinking about their play needs is a major epiphany. And Jesse, I know that's something we talk about a lot when we're like leading classes and stuff together. So what are your thoughts about like us and our kids, you know, working together with our- Well, I mean, I think I love thinking about it. um, Just this, this time when our kids are open to us. I mean, isn't that really happening when we're playing is that we're just open to experiences uh, both ways. And so um, I would just say, even from the experience of like being- um, you know, we're so used to trying to parent in the moment and taking care of things in the moment, but play happens outside of the moment, which I love. And, and uh, that kind of layers along with some other connecting practices that we have. When I think about play personalities, I, it also uh, just really opened up this idea for me of, oh, could I be missing one of my kids bid for connection? Like, we have another, I, I would consider myself probably one of my, one of my personality aspects being director, but I think we probably have another director in our family. 
And I would have thought, oh, well, that kid is trying to um, take away my power, take away my authority. Oh, that kid's not respecting me. But maybe that kid was just wanting to play, you know? And how do I make space for her to play as a director? Um, That just seeing of it, seeing it in that way, um, different behaviors as maybe a bid for connection in a playful way has made me think about behavior differently. I love that, Jesse. One of the examples that Mo and I often give, because I think it was one of our big, massive epiphanies, was one of our kids is a collector, and that is how they, like, enjoy their whole world. And that is so opposite of who Mo and I are. Might be more, like, minimalist and do with little, and you don't have to have a lot of stuff, and, like, I don't want clutter. And then you have this precious child that is, like, experiencing their entire world of joy is wrapped up in one more rock or this certain kind of, you know, another feather or this collection or that collection. So beginning to see that as part of their wiring and the way that they are experiencing you and then supporting that, that is amazing. So I like that idea of like that bid for connection. So thinking about play as an opportunity to connect and build that foundation of trust and relationship that it will will hold strong when the rough times come. Like play is so powerful to even thinking about, um, you know, if there's a, if you're not feeling super connected to your kid, or maybe there's some behavior that's going on that you're confused about or can't really figure out what's happening behind it, or it's repetitive and it's bugging you and you don't know what to do. Like just thinking about like slowing down and doing like 15 minutes of child-led play can like reset everything. Um, and that's for older kids, middle schoolers, high schoolers, you know, college age students. I took one of our kiddos off to their college orientation and it had been a long trip and we were on the way home and I could just tell that like, I think we were both kind of exhausted and we needed to talk about some things. And I don't think either one of us had a lot of energy to do that, but we needed to before we got home to the rest of the family. And I said, why don't you just tell me what you're listening to? And like, they played their favorite song right now. And then I like did a throwback to mine. And we had about 30 minutes of like going back and forth on Spotify, just playfully. They're totally into music right now. And about 30 minutes later, you know what? Both of us were ready to talk. You know, we were ready to sort of do that other um, kind of business that we needed to do that we didn't have the energy for before we got playful. It's just powerful. It is so powerful. And I think, you know, one thing that was really helpful or two, I guess two elements that have been really helpful is thinking of play as a tool for regulation. Like thinking um, somebody's losing it and they don't want to go do X, Y, or Z thing. And it feels, especially if you grew up in a more traditional, you know, kind of high structure environment, it feels wild to say, you're not wanting to clean your room right now? I'll tell you what, let's go jump on the trampoline for a few minutes. Like everything in my, you know, high structure background screams like, you are a lunatic. Why would you do that? And yet, like, if you're, if you're thinking of it as a tool for regulation, like go get a quick, cheap connection builder where that kid's like, oh, yes, that's all I want to do is play on the trampoline right now. And then while you're there, you can go, hey, I tell you what, this is awesome. 
let's go do this some more after we clean your room. Do you want me to walk you out there with you or do you want to go do it by yourself, knock it out real quick? I'm not saying it's a magic genie where all of a sudden it happens every time, but it is. it can be another tool for you to use in those moments. And then, you know, it it is, the music thing is a perfect example, Tana. Like it, it is a wildly helpful thing for us just to, just to learn their personalities. And like, it's another, it is another aspect of who they are. And so the collector thing can get super overblown really fast. If you are a no clutter person, because then it, you're, you're unknowingly attacking their character or attacking like who they are or yeah, how they experience delight is under attack at that moment. We've got a director at our house too. And there are moments where we're like, hey, you are not in charge. And then remembering like, oh, well, and there are moments for that, obviously. But then a lot of times what we can do is we can then leverage that and be like, hey, I tell you what, our, our chore, because we'll, we'll, we have like a chore chart. And sometimes in the afternoons, like right before dinner, we'll, everybody will go do their zones. And the big kids are, are pretty good to go do it on their own. Our youngest you know, is needs some help. And so we will then kind of tackle those together. And when we put her in charge of it, that begins to be a little bit more, like you're almost just harnessing the wind, like you're taking the sail and it pops right up because it's like, Hey, tell me what needs to be cleaned up in this. Let's go do it together. And so they're, you know, before they realize it, they're doing their chores happily without even thinking about it. So just some ways that that can also like in, in non-actual playing ways, ways that can be leveraged um, that are really helpful. Um, you know, I think most of us, if we're thinking about this from a, whatever, like a um, physical developmental learning tool, growing tool, all that, like we can connect with that. Like, oh yeah, play is important. And we think about, you know, running around outside or think about doing stuff that is physically active. Um, why don't we talk for a minute about ways that play cultivates growth in our kids and just being aware of like the, all the different facets of growth that are happening because of play? Well, I would say, I mean, just biologically, we're wired to learn through play. So when you see how babies and toddlers learn new skills and um, move along developmental stages, I mean, that's happening. When you think about a baby playing peekaboo, uh, pe- Peekaboo, peekaboo. <laughs> um, that child is learning object permanence, right? And it still happens, you know, out on the playground in elementary school. Kids are learning socio. I'm having problems with my words. Guys. <laughs> socio emotional. See, words are overrated. We just need to play. Right? Just play. <laughs> right. It's just right. learning skills out there. Is what I'm trying to That's say. Right. Learning, That's right. Learning how to share the swings. They're yeah. learning how um, how to share friends. They're learning how yeah. to. What do you do when your friend wants to play one game, but your other friend wants to play another game? It's We're building skills and learning as we play. And um, I think also that we can use play to uh, build skills. So I'm even thinking of, um, I've got a, a kiddo that is interested, like loves playing with kids, interested in babysitting and um so how do you scaffold the skill to babysit the skill of babysitting when they're maybe a little bit too young to do that for other families? Um, you know, it, it, it like let's harness that play personality and um, let them kind of learn how to build those skills using their play personality. So maybe maybe a director gets to come up with some activities to play during the day with a younger sibling or. Um, yeah. Maybe a collector um, 
can get some neighborhood kids together and have a little like card swap or, um, you know, rock swap or whatever they like to do. Yeah. There's, there's all kinds of ways to teach kids uh, the, the very next skill using a game or the way they like to play. I have a, a kid who is um, super playful in a lot of different ways, um, but she used to love treasure maps to clean her room. If I would make her a treasure map, oh, that's awesome. like this leads to this, you know, first you clean up all the clothes and then you clean up all the stuffed animals. And it was like one picture leads to another picture and then X marks the spot at the bottom, which was, you know, who knows, some little thing, some little treat or snack or time with mom. But I mean, all she needed was a treasure map because it was a game and it was fun. Um, we can use... We can use games and playing all along the way with our kids. We talk a lot about practicing outside the moment, right? To build those skills. And that really is using play to do that. Mm -hmm. So that's exactly what Jesse's talking about. Like how, if you're trying to get a kiddo to accomplish, you know, X task or be able to grow in a certain way to get to a skill that they don't have yet, practicing outside the moment is a great way to do that. Or if you're, you know, let's say you have a big trip coming up and you've got a kiddo that might struggle with transition or the unknown, thinking about how you can play and like play pretend and, and play that scenario out before it happens to just help them have the capacity to maybe manage that situation with a little bit more resilience and strength. I mean, this is why we have play therapists at Memphis Family Connection Center yeah. that are taking kiddos into that play therapy room and letting them express their experiences through play, because we know play is a healing thing. It heals us. It heals others. It's just, it's beautiful. And figuring out how to like, just take a beat and maybe consider play as a pathway forward in whatever situation or circumstance you're in with your kid. It can be in a split second, or it can be something you know, that you're, that you're needing to think about and then sort of enter into intentionally. Um, what role could play, what role could play play <laughs> in yeah. building skills and growth and healing? Um, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot around here is a wonderful and amazing quote by Dr. Karen Purvis that talks about play disarming fear. And <clears throat> I think this is one of the things that probably in our early years of like rethinking how we thought about play, I think this was probably the hook that got us was how can we um, utilize this connected, playful engagement to, to support our kiddos that might be experiencing some stress, adversity, and fear. Um, one of, I think, the most... Um, you know, thoughtful examples for me that just comes up when I think about this is, you know, Mo and I are parents through adoption and several of our kiddos, we traveled to pick them up in their country. And, you know, they they were somewhere between the age of two, three, and they didn't speak English. And you are desperately wanting to start a foundation of connection with these, you know, with your children and you cannot speak to them. So you have a couple of things in your arsenal and they are exactly your nonverbal body language, your posture, your tone, your facial expression, your movement and play. Yeah. And 
I mean, we played it up. We were watching some videos um, just this last week. It was one of our kids' birthdays, and we were just looking at old pictures and videos of them. And we got to the videos of the first day that um, they were in our care in their country, and it was precious seeing Mo like sitting down crisscross applesauce on the floor playing teacup party. And you know what? Our baby couldn't speak a bit of English, but they knew how to pour daddy a cup of tea. And I bet Mo drank, you know, 15 to 20 pretend cups of tea before that little playful session was over. And I think that when we can start communicating, we forget that play is still as powerful as it was before we could speak to each other with our words. So I love to just remember, like, play is the foundation of felt safety, connection, and relationship. And if you think about that, too, I mean, think about, I mean, play is often this side-by-side activity or this activity that encourages eye contact and giving and receiving. Those are such hallmarks of attachment, right? So we're building in those things that are so healing and promote so much growth for our kids without even trying. It's, you know, JD was saying it, it's like free therapy or, you know, cheap. It's something that's very low cost to us to do, right? But to do a tea party with someone, you wouldn't really think that would build attachment. But I mean, they were probably looking at each other's faces. Oh, it's precious. I got teary watching it again. They're mirroring each other's activities. That's so, so great for the brain. Um, so, and that translates even to teenagers. I mean, we were, um, talking this morning about playing catch. That's like something where you're mirroring each other's behaviors and it's, you know, this behavior that's repetitive and, uh, involves motion and proprioceptive input. And, um, you can have a conversation during it. So, uh, yeah, I, I just love all of that. And I've even shared the example before of, um, having my, having, when my child wouldn't talk to me, talking to my child's stuffed animal. Um, she's fairly young, but being able to talk to the stuffed animal and the stuffed animal would tell me things that maybe she might not say directly to me. Um, or, you know, if you play puppets or play dolls, anything like that, you can, you can communicate in a different kind of way. I love that. Using play to redirect also, like there's a, a ton of examples of that. Um, I mean, just even in, uh, you know, talking about the uh, levels of engagement that we talk about, like at level one, playful engagement. Oh, let's try that again. And if you're, if you've ever watched the Karen Purvis videos, which shameless plug, you can do at youtube.com slash empowered to connect. Uh, Karen is a big time playful redirection person and is the most Texas playful um, engagement person of all time. And so you hear lots of cowboy and uh, all kind of stuff like, oh, let's try it again, cowboy, that kind of stuff. Um, do y'all have examples of those, those like that playful engagement, like level one type engagements that you use to, to, for redirections? Well, I think, my goodness, it sure takes a hot minute to decide that it's okay to redirect maybe a misbehavior or something you want your child to stop doing and do it in a playful way. So I don't know about y'all or anyone listening, but that wasn't how I was parent. Well, my parents were precious, but that really wasn't part of what we did. And that sure wasn't what I was sort of told to do by this community in our early parenting. So when I say like it was a massive mindset shift for Mo and I, I promise you this nugget right here 
literally changed the entire culture of our family. It restored relationships. It brought me back joy. I was Mm -hmm. like, are you kidding me? I don't have to like come in big and strong and heavy when my very young child is simply needing a little bit of redirection. Like I can approach them in a kind, playful, humorous way and we can keep going. And maybe they might actually learn what they should do instead. And maybe they might stop doing it. And maybe I won't lose my mind in the process. Like thinking that play and playful engagement could be used to correct behavior and redirect a child. I know this might not be like mind-blowing rocket science for some of you guys. It was a major, major, major mindset shift for me, you know, a lot of years ago. Um, Yeah, it's it's awesome. And I love it. Jesse, I'm sure you've got a similar experience and probably some really great examples. Oh, it definitely has um, been the like one of the bedrocks of the foundation of the way we parent. And um, I felt so thankful to just have been exposed to this just as we were um, beginning to be parents because it really has been woven through the fabric, through the culture of our family, just this playful engagement. You know, we are constantly encouraging families. That's what you return to over and over again because we, we want it to be part of the way the way that our family uh, interacts just in general. We want it to be part of our culture. And so if you think about like when you feel close to people, it's not when they're giving you a lecture. It's not when they're punishing right. you. It's when they're connecting with you, when they're playing with you, when they're when you're having lighthearted moments. I mean, certainly I can have a heart to heart and feel close to someone. But um, though that's those are the memories that we make as families um, and that we remember fondly are all those moments of play. And so um, redirecting, you know, I've got this kind of story I, I tell when we um, when we facilitate empowered to connect courses. Um, but I remember one of my children being kind of young that that age where it's easy to melt down. And she was struggling with the transition of leaving a restaurant. It was probably loud. It was probably, I remember it was late at night because it was dark. And um, so there's all kinds of things going on, right? And we're leaving and she's starting to melt down. And I felt very punitive in the moment. I felt like, you know, snapping my fingers being like, pull it together. You know, Mm -hmm. this is no, don't embarrass me in front of all these people as we're leaving the restaurant. And in, um, I don't know, something about the moment they had music playing and it had this beat. It was kind of a fun song. And instead of reprimanding my child for acting inappropriately, Mm -hmm. um, I started to dance. And this child loves movement. Um, She loves to move her body. She loves music. And she saw me starting to dance and she started to copy me. And we had this long walk back to our car through through a cart courtyard. And we danced all the way through that courtyard. We had so much fun. Um, the other child in our family and my husband were had gone on ahead. They were doing, you know, they were leaving with no problems and he had turned around and seen us and started to record us on video. And then the other child came running up because she wanted to be part of it. And the three of us were dancing back towards my husband recording this moment and every year it shows up on our time hop and we share it with each other and we all laugh. No one remembered. The kids do not remember why that moment started. They remember Gosh, how it ended. Great. And it yeah. was so funny and fun to watch all of us doing our little silly dance moves together. 
Um, and what could have been the meltdown on the way to the car instead is this memory we share with each other every year. And that's the way I want my redirection. And, you know, every redirection can't go like that. But how many can I catch low and turn them into memories, you know, that we remember in a fond way? Yeah. Um, I want to engage playfully like that when I can. Jesse, you're making me think of an example. One of our kiddos, um, and I won't go too far into the whole surrounding scenario because it would take too long, but we were at a family camp with a lot of other families. Uh, One of our kids was not getting out of the swimming pool. When the thunder was rolling off in the mountains, they couldn't hear it. And the lifeguard told them to get out. They're hearing impaired. They couldn't hear it. And they just kept on going up and down the slide. And um, I, trying to use my good... uh, you know, connecting practices, walked up to the side of the pool and got the kids' attention and gave them two choices that they could get out of the pool right now or their dad could come in to get them. (laughs) And the child is one of our most playful kiddos and like kind of gave a dad a little like, you know, like a little uh, head nod, like, come on in, buddy. My husband was fully clothed in front of all these other parents, had to get in the swimming pool, get the child out. And, um, you know, it was, that was not our best correcting moment but I knew I needed to reinforce the importance of the child listening whenever there was something dangerous going on. And they, they were pretty young. They have, they have a lot of, um, they're super playful. They're silly. They like to learn that way. There's a lot of ability to playfully engage. I'll say this would not have worked for all of our kids. Right. Okay. You can't, what I'm about to tell you we did with this one would not have worked with probably any of our other children. So you've got to know your kids. Mm -hmm. But the next day we came back to the same little swimming pool at this family camp. I talked to the lifeguard that was there the day before, you know, said kiddo went up and said, I'm, you know, sorry, I didn't get out. We kind of made amends. We worked that out. And then we practiced outside the moment. And he would, he got in the pool and swam around and the lifeguard played along and like blew his whistle. And this kid saw him and came running and got out of the pool. All the parents and children there clapped and gave him high five. And it was like a big party because he got out when the lifeguard blew the whistle. And he wanted to keep doing that. And he did it four or five, six times. And then he remembered the next year, we had not said another word about it. The next year, we pull on to the little gravel road at the entrance of the family camp. And I hear my little pumpkin in the back say, mom, mom, I'll remember to get out of the pool this year. (laughs) And there was no shame. It was like, it was just, it was connected. It wasn't shaming. There was no like massive consequence or punishment, but we did reinforce a behavior for a kiddo through a lot of different reasons developmentally needed that sort of practice and playful engagement in order to make it stick in like muscle motor memory and long-term retention. It is, there's so many benefits to using play in moments of redirection and correction and helping our children know what we expect of them. Well, and you know? I, I, yes, I, I think about um, in my own personal life, and th- this has become, I think, Jesse, like your story about um, the dancing, this has become kind of like a Wilson family lore story. And so I, I don't think it's um, out of bounds to share it. I won't share who it was, but um, <laughs> I have a shirt my wife just hates. She hates it so much. And it, it, it doesn't fit right. It looks goofy. It's, it's at like end of the, 
it like into the closet type of shirt. Like, oh God, we, laundry isn't done yet. We haven't gotten all that done. So I've just got to wear this shirt. So I'm wearing that shirt and, you know, she had rolled her eyes at me when I, when I came downstairs and like, we were laughing about it. Well, later on, um, you know, we have, uh, you talked about, you know, needing to know your kid's personality. We have some kids that um, are not, uh, their, their stress response is not fight at all. And we have one fighter, like one that just wants to scrap. And so once we, once we kind of learn those different stress responses, it helps to then kind of know how to engage in different ways, whatever. And uh, purely by accident, not on purpose, uh, we got tangled up. I was trying to get out of their way and they moved the wrong way and just kind of like, like ah, and just needing that, that deep input just like slammed into me and kind of grabbed me and it, it ripped part of the pocket of the shirt. And uh, it was one of those like, kind of quick moments where like you hear the, and everybody freezes. I mean, like the, like a record scratch in a sitcom, yeah. you know, like, yep. Yep. like everybody freezes and this kid looks up and was like, uh, and I said, oh, thank you so much. Do you know your mom? hates this shirt <laughs> as much as she's hated anything in her entire life. And I was like, you know what we should do as like a gift for her? Why don't you just rip the fire out of the shirt right now? But, and, and so like they grabbed yeah. the shirt and just kind of like yanked down like, like a little half rip. And I was like, oh, come on. That's pathetic. You can do better than that. But you got to put your back into it. Come on, put some muscle into it. Like, like we're pro wrestlers. Like, like this is a skit or something. Like, and then back and just rips, not just the pocket clear off, but the entire strip of fabric just comes flying off the shirt. So just my, my shirtless self underneath is just showing. And I was like, well, now the shirt doesn't match. So now we got to fix the other side too. And so grab a pencil and stick it in the other side and use it as a whole to then rip that side too. So all that's left are just the butt, like my, my collar is still buttoned. And the buttons down the middle, and it's just Amazing. missing the sides completely. And now they're dying laughing because I'm I'm like joking about playing it, out. it, and I'm joking yeah, about yeah. podcasting it, and like what are the yeah. what are the audience going to think and all that. And mm-hmm. and so then uh, about that time, and, and it was just one of those moments that just everything sort of fell together perfectly. My wife was coming around the corner, and she heard the commotion, and so she's coming elevated like. Why are they, I mean, he just got home from work. Why are they doing this? Why, are, you know, why can't everybody just enjoy each other's company? And she comes from the corner and just starts dying laughing. And she said, what happened here? And this kid goes, dad, do a little twirl for us. And so I like, pretending I'm on the catwalk. And I was like, this is the latest fashion by, the you know, kid's name. And it's like talking about how we could market this to like, you know, people for stress relievers, like shirts that are ready to be just torn into pieces. And so... And it, it just turned into a totally like playful, fun moment. Everybody's laughing. So then I took the shirt off and I was like, well, I, I think I've now got to sign this because it's, it's like memorabilia now. So I autographed the shirt and that kid has it on their kind of not their nightstand, but like on like a little like area in their part of the room as a reminder that we don't always have to take things so seriously in their own words. And it it is a great like it is a great moment in history. It only came because I just had this awareness of playing to disarm, and we were deep in conflict. That that came about thirty minutes into just both of us beating our heads against the wall because we could not 
figure out how to disarm this yep. this argument that was happening. Um, yep. And it, it now became this massive moment. And so when we can, we try to use those moments. And, and it can backfire on you too, y'all. I've joked at the wrong moment and gotten stuff thrown at me. By, by kids. It doesn't always work. But it... But just yep. knowing that it can, and if you know your kids and, and trying things here and there, you can always repair, right? You can always yep. say, oh, I'm so sorry. I was trying to joke. I didn't mean that. Yep. <laughs> you know? yep. um, so yeah, it also can turn into like, you know, Mount Rushmore moments of yep. family joy if it, if it works. Yep. Even I love that, JD. Yeah, go ahead, Jess. I was just going to say, even just little things like, um, you know, I wish that my kids stopped every time I told them to stop. I have one that loves to just run ahead. I mean, just gets so excited and uh, does not stop if I yell stop. But if I yell red light, she stops 100% of the time. And so now we have red light, green light, yellow light, purple light, rainbow light. They all stand for different things. And it's, I mean, like she follows all those directions, but if she, she'll do it if we play. And, um, you might argue and say, well, I don't want my kid to have to play to do what I say. I want them to just do what I say. Shouldn't they be obedient? And yeah. I think I would counter that with they're learning, they're learning that, right? We're all yeah. on a yep. learning trajectory and they're learning yep. that through playing. Um, Tana, I remember when you told us that story in the pool, um, yeah. when I heard it the very first time I thought, but how did that kid get in trouble? For not what, obeying what was his the consequence? first time, right. what was like yeah. because shouldn't shouldn't something have happened? And I was very preoccupied with like, but yeah. did you talk to him? Like, but did he feel bad? <laughs> like, what would keep that from happening? And as I've heard you tell that story over the years, because and you know the kid, yeah, you know, know who they are, kid, and yeah. I've heard you tell the story yeah. over the years, and I've started living this practice through my family. Yeah. You don't have to have the punitive thing happen. No. That was such a mind shift for me, you guys. Yeah. And so if you're listening to this and you're like, I really am doubting that this would work. Yeah. It would have to be punitive or something would have to happen as a, a you know, to, to yeah. discourage the child from misbehaving again. I truly think you can redirect and teach skills through play. I agree. And even the conversation that would happen in that moment, however old they are or whatever developmental level they are, you know, um, would be something like, hey, but it was, I could tell that you were, you know, having a hard time getting out of the pool when it was time. And, you know, outside the moment is usually the time to have those conversations. Yeah. And so um, there wasn't anything massively punitive. There was the next day, hey, love, we really want to let you go back to the pool it's super important for you to listen to the lifeguard. And if they're telling you to get out, you don't know the situation. You've got to just get out. And I know, I know you can do that. That's the difference. It was a strengths-based approach to like seeing the kid could do it and telling them they were capable of doing that. And Um, knowing this kid, I mean, I can imagine what a joyful, fun thing it was to learn uh-huh. Um, how, you know, with everyone cheering for them when they got out of the pool. Every so time they got out, it was yeah. like a dance party. Yes. They were dancing it and shaking their booty and cheering for themselves and jumping back in and let's do this again. And, you know, and this is my kiddo that was having, that would have a hard time remembering their aunt's name. Like there are some cognitive and developmental 
you know, stuff going on there, but like cementing this, I mean, I think that's when I was really bought in. I'm like, I've been saying this, but one year later, when they remember it, when they have a hard time remembering things from yesterday, I am 100% convinced that play is, it gets to parts of our heart and mind and brain and body that nothing else can reach. And, and I will, I will say it just brings joy back. Yeah. It is. Sometimes it's so hard for us to flip that switch as parents because we are mad or we are frustrated or tired or angry. And sometimes the heaviest lift is the one that flips the switch that allows you to move forward in a playful and soft and compassionate sort of engaging way. But if you can flip that switch, I promise you there's like, undiscovered connection and delight and joy and freedom for you as a parent on the other side of flipping that switch and just finding your way through. We've all said it was one kid that we could do this with. It, it's so unique, which is why we started at the top with play personalities. Yeah, It's about being curious and discovering and practicing and committing to building a culture of play and then figuring it out. But then you You have those rituals and touch points with that child. You know, JD's kid has that shirt, you know, and every time they look at it, they think not of a struggle with dad, but that hilarious moment. And, you know, Tana's kid thinks of how fun it was to be successful at doing what they were asked to do when they didn't want to do it. And um, I don't and your know, kids I just, remember the dance party with mom. Exactly. They, they, that yeah. it doesn't, you know, they, they, you, it becomes easier to take a different way forward um, versus yeah. just, you know, feeling like you're in that rut of always mm-hmm. ending in a struggle. I think what I like about this and is we're not talking about permissive behavior. Mm-hmm. We're talking about building skills and setting boundaries that sort of help us have some joy and delight with one another, sort of like within those boundaries. Yeah. So I I love that. It really is part of the whole connecting practice of balancing nurture and structure. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes we think, oh, plays all nurture. Well, actually it's nurture and structure. Yeah. So, you know, just make sure you're thinking about play as a holistic sort of way of engaging with your kiddo, both in the times when, you know, things you feel ready to play and maybe most importantly in the times when there is some sort of disconnection or break in relationship or you're struggling to figure out how to move forward. And yeah, I don't think you'll be sorry. I think it does require creativity and some thought like you're saying, Tana, but if you can take that time and think about that skill that needs to be built, um, there's probably a game you know that could teach it, right? Yep. Even I had a competitor that hated losing and we decided to make a game out of losing that every time you lost, you actually won. The goal was to lose, you know, like just think about it backwards. Think about that skill that's lacking or that the interaction that went, you know, that went wrong that one time and then think about, okay, what game can I play in the free time or what books can we check out from the library, you know, um, for, for our storytellers or um, whatever else that that will teach my kid in the way that they best learn. I love it. Well, guys, 
this has been great. Thank you. I think this was this was longer than any of us expected to talk about this today, and I, and I think it was full of great examples and um, yeah. practical tools. And so, uh, hopefully, for those of you listening, it was helpful. Um, and for those of you asking, no, that shirt will never see the light of day. Oh, uh, you won't model it for us. What number of followers would you post a picture? Know, right? What is if, what if this podcast? Jenny, hold on. What if literally we could say like when this particular episode gets shared twenty times, right? we have a shot of JD in this shirt. In the highly shirt. inappropriate, highly <laughs> inappropriate. Um, Your kids oh, would God. really love that, though. They would. Oh my gosh, we are at level. the age where they would super not love that. Actually, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure if they're down on the internet like that, that would that would be very unfortunate. Um, so. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, well, guys, thank awesome. you all. Thank this you, guys. Awesome. And um, yeah, we'll do it again soon. Well, hopefully um, for you, this was a helpful episode today. I know that for me, as I began um, first learning about this this uh, concept years ago, um, I, I'm a very playful person, as we pointed out in the, converse, in the conversation today, um, by nature, that is an easy thing for me to do with my friends. But it was hard for me to learn uh, to take it seriously as a parent and to utilize it as a parenting tool, but it has been so, so helpful. So my hope would be that uh, this is a practical, good episode for you today that you took something away from it. I also hope that you will consider, if you are already a parent who is supporting other families, um, supporting parents around you in your community now, that you would consider becoming a Cultivate Connection facilitator. So again, if you are willing to uh, take that leap, head to empoweredtoconnect.org. You can apply to become a facilitator now. Find out about the latest training that is coming up soon. And all of that you can find, again, at EmpoweredToConnect.org. So for Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers all of our audio, for Tad Jewett, the creator of the music behind the Empowered To Connect podcast, and the whole team at ETC, I'm J.D. Wilson, and we will see you next week on the Empowered To Connect podcast.